Sunset Lake CBD is a majority employee-owned hemp farm located right outside of Burlington, Vermont. Before they started growing hemp, Sunset Lake Farms produced cream for Ben & Jerry's. Sunset Lake CBD doesn't use any pesticides or herbicides to grow any of its hemp plants, and they use organic fertilizer and other sustainable farming techniques to ensure the long-term health of the soil and to minimize their carbon footprint. So like all of us, my days are really stressful. By the end of the night, my kids are in bed, I'm taking a minute to chill, but I'm still unwinding. I recently started using the Relax Gummies infused with CBD isolate, reishi mushroom extract, and ashwagandha root extract. I'm really glad I tried these because they really helped me get ready for a good night of sleep, and I really think I sleep better, so I'd highly recommend it. So check out Sunset Lake CBD today at sunsetlakecbd.com and use the code HFPOD for 20% off your order. That's sunsetlakecbd.com and use the code HFPOD for 20% off your order. Farmer-owned, Vermont-grown, Sunset Lake CBD. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. All right, my show, Indisputable with Dr. Rashad Ritchie, has hit 1 million podcast downloads because of you. This is huge. That means we're in the top 5% of all podcasts among listeners. I want to thank you for listening to the show and supporting what we do. Iron sharpens iron. On this show, we dive into the most pressing news of our time. It's not easy, but it's necessary. Providing insightful commentary and a heavy dose of fact-based truth. We cover criminal justice, politics, social justice, policy, and how racism affects us all. Find Indisputable with Dr. Rashad Ritchie on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Make sure you are subscribed to our show so you don't miss an episode and don't forget to rate us with five stars. Now that we've reached 1 million podcast downloads, let's get our show to number one in the podcast charts. Hey, listeners, I want to tell you about a sponsor, Music Masters Collective. They're a nonprofit organization that produces unique music events, providing opportunities for fans and artists to meet and collaborate in an inspired and creative atmosphere. Every week, they host different events, all with the opportunity to learn from world-class musicians like O'Teal Burbridge, Trouble No More, former members of the band, Milk Carton Kids, Nikki Glaspie, Bill Frizzell, Sean Colvin, and many more. This June, join the Fab Foe, Joan Osborne, John Sebastian, Marshall Crenshaw, and a great group of faculty for the debut of Magical Mystery Camp. This all-inclusive, once-in-a-lifetime music vacation experience in the heart of the Catskills will be packed with nightly performances, workshops, speakers, song circles, open mics, and a lot more. If you're a performing musician at any level, bring your instrument. If you're a music lover, bring your good spirit. It's an amazing experience for individuals, friends, and couples alike. Registration is open, spots are filling up, so check it out soon. And scholarships are available. Check out magicalmysterycamp.com slash helpingfriendly to learn more. Osiris.
All right, we are live. This is a Jeff Pod. Hello, everyone. Um, hi, Megan. Hi, Brian. Hi. Hello. The the forty for forty rolls on. We are rolling on. We are we're um, making our way through the eighties. And every time we listen to one of these shows, I think like, wow, this is a totally different band than the last week. I felt yeah. the same way this week again. Yeah, that vibe that we talked about around the 85 show, the 103085, that we we continue to hear this bridge to what really will become fish. I felt that again with this, and I felt like the way I felt in the 86 episode, but then I completely, you know, cast aside when I listened to this was that no, 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 now we have reached real yeah. fish. And I know the next year is gonna be even more, but like the organ adds so yes. much i don't want to dive too much into yes. it, but the organ just adds so much to what makes fish fish and until you hear that in this successive exercise that we're doing where like every show leads into the next year it just like it, it's a light bulb of oh my god without that organ they're not fish yeah it sounds like so textured and layered now and it sounds more like full and complete and they just sound really gelled together I feel like everybody should do this, should listen to what we're listening to because it's it's actually really cool. It's actually a cool idea. It's this like bed that they can all just lie back on and play whatever they want because they have Paige mm-hmm. right behind them just with like music that like y- you can zone out from hearing the organ, but then you can hear it. I don't know. We got to go through an intro, but like I'm already there with with the organ. If If you haven't been with us yet until now, thank you. So... We are going to go through all 40 years of Fish's history, and we are on 1987. So that's the intro. So thank you for listening to that. Um, what, <laughs> what, else do we wanna, what else do we need to say about, the, uh, about you know, where we are in, in the world or in, in Fish world? There's something really important that we need to say. The number one song in America, August 10th, 1987. Anybody want to guess? Uh, I know that it's 10. I know that it's exactly 10 years to the day before my first Deer Creek show. It is. Trey was thinking about that as well. Um, It is a song that has a music video that I probably have seen 500 times. It comes off of one of my 20 favorite albums of all time. It's probably this band's greatest album, but I would argue it's their third best album, which see me on another podcast for that logic. It is a song about longing, about yearning, about still striving for something in the mist, in the distance that you can't totally put your finger on but you're still looking for it, but you haven't found it yet. Does anyone know what I'm talking about? It's a gospel song. It's a song so, about America. Um, no. And, and you know, no. it's sorry, before you answer, before you tell the answer, I said last week that I'm reading the quest love book and the 1987 chapter, he talks about sign of the times by Prince. Mm, that's mm, like the whole chapter. Um, and I know that it's not any songs from that. So now, I mean, is it you it's too? A song, it's you too. It's a song that would not be this song without Daniel Lenoir 
and Brian Eno's production. Mm-hmm. So I still haven't found what I'm looking for. The number one song, mm-hmm. August 10th. Look at Glenn Russell on top of it. Glenn Russell, my man. Um, so, you know, I, I said last week that I would bring something from this Questlove book that I've been reading. And, you know, the 80s, obviously, you know, for those of us who were alive during this time, I was, I guess, eight at this point. Like I was watching MTV and and Questlove was watching MTV and like it's all really about music videos at this point, at least in terms of our cultural touchstones, you know, musical oh, yeah. touchstones. It's all about like music videos. It, it's crazy. Um, but in 1987, there was I mean, what, well, Brian, what else what else music wise sticks out to you about this this year? I mean, this year is there's so many classic records that came out in 1987. Uh, I remember there was, you know, back in 2017, there was this 30 year recap on a few podcasts that I listened to and got incredible REM album. One of my favorite Neil Young records comes out in 1987. Um, It felt, it feels when you go back and listen to music from this point in time, that it is kind of the turning point towards the nineties. There's a lot of reverb. There's a lot of, still gated drums, still a lot of uh, kind of mechanical sounding synthesizers that remove the music from kind of the natural space you would have heard 10 years earlier. But you are starting to hear bands start to kind of take that down a notch. Um, you hear a lot of hair metal during this period in time. I mean, it's it's a very we, – we're firmly in the 1980s at this point in in the decade while also having some sort of an eye on what's coming next. We're 13 years away from the millennium. We're kind of at a point where people are starting to think about, okay, what is the defining sound for the remainder of this century and remainder of where pop culture is going right now um, while also kind of being the last sort of part of the 1980s where classic rock stars are not necessarily seen as being old yet. Like that's going to come in the 1990s once we have this new generation of listeners listening along to this music. Um, but I mean, I think a lot about 1987 is a huge year for one of our favorite bands, the Grateful Dead, who are playing residencies at MSG, who are writing great music. Uh, they 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 release. Is this the year that um? What album did they release in '87? I'm totally blanking on this now. Let me look this up. Um, I mean, what did they did they do any albums in the in the eighties besides um, in the dark? I think it's in the dark that comes out in eighty seven, right? Yeah, with Touch of Yeah, Gray. in the dark, yeah. which is huge, huge moment for them. So there are some songs that we should just talk about, which don't have anything to do with this fish show. But nineteen eighty seven songs, "Sweet Child of Mine." You 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 mentioned you two who had a couple bad. By Michael Jackson and every Guns N' Roses, you know, song from Appetite for Destruction. Mm-hmm. I want to yeah. dance with somebody. Faith by George Michael. Um, oh. And then like Man in the Mirror, The Way You Make Me Feel, La Bamba. I mean, I mean, so many of those songs are like iconic. Yeah. It's like forever. It's like I was at a bar on crazy. Saturday night and they were playing. I want to dance with somebody. And I was like dancing and singing. So, like <laughs> It's still happening. I've had the time of my life. 1987. Oh, well, was Dirty Dancing coming out? Yeah, I guess, this is the year of Dirty so. Dancing. I mean, I so, so much. I'm so obsessed with that movie. I watched maybe that this movie. Is the I wasn't best, supposed to, but... Maybe yeah, this is soundtrack. like the best year in human history. Maybe we just maybe we just landed on it. I mean, 
Maybe. I think you're right. <laughs> I'm, I, I'm just saying. I'm just saying. Thank you. Thank you for the built to last. I forgot about that one. <laughs> Aren't we two months away from a major stock market collapse at this point in time as well? Like we're kind of reaching the point where like the eighties, like the, the glory peak years of the eighties economy is about to come crashing down as we move into late eighties, early nineties recession era America before everything that happened as, as the economy just, you know, ballooned in the mid 1990s like we're at this very unique kind of turning point where one era that has been built up over the last seven years is about to end and we're about to transition into something new um this is the year of mr gorbachev tear down that wall i mean it's huge world history is about to happen um i just want to add one more thing that happened in 1987 before we before we talk about the uh this fish show uh nikki six from Ali Crew died briefly and then was brought back to life um, from an overdose. So there's a lot. I mean, there's a lot. We could go into, we could probably talk all day about 87, but maybe we shouldn't. Maybe we should talk about fish. I don't know. What do you guys think? We can talk about fish. Yeah. You, maybe this is time for Meg's Corner where I talk about like what's been going on with the band in the last year. Please do it. Unless you have a better name for it. I, I love know. it. I think it's great. <laughs> okay, good. So this year is a big leap in shows. They have 47 known shows in 87. So last year there was 24. So this is a big, considerable jump in the number of shows. You've got eight of those shows happening at Hunts, which is like 300 to 400 person venue. I don't know if that was sold out all the time. I doubt it. But, you know, they're playing bigger venues. We've got 19 shows in Nectars. We've got handfuls of shows at like UVM and Goddard and other colleges. And then they're going to have some really important shows later in the month of August, Ian's Farm and The Ranch. And this is a cool time. All the band members are living within walking distance of Nectars. And they've got this residency that they're playing there a few nights a week, which is really exciting. And also they've got the narrow stage, which, you know, influences how the band is going to configure themselves on stage for years to come because they're all in a row as opposed to having Fishman behind, which is, I just think it's fun to think about how these Things that happened when they were so young really influenced them and who they became forever. You've also got Amy Skelton going to University of New Hampshire and spreading tapes around and bringing people back on her pickup truck to kind of like see fish in Burlington. So it's like the beginning of the tape trading and the kind of like other colleges that are out of Vermont hearing about them, which is really exciting. And I think musically this year, they're just getting more polished. You know, Trey's just sounds incredible on the guitar. And I think like we were talking about in the intro, they just sound really gelled together. You know, you've got 39 debuts this year. And some of the originals are like Susie Greenberg, Man Who Stepped Into Yesterday, Harpua, Divided Sky, He, The Sloth, The Curtain With, I Didn't Know, and Dinner in the Movie. Three big songs. Yeah, that's awesome. That's a, that's a great rundown. It kind of feels like this is the year where whatever like ideas that they've had are starting to really coalesce around something that they can mm -hmm. throw themselves into on a day-to-day -day basis. They're, they're making enough money playing this, these residencies they are playing more shows. They're getting word of mouth is starting to spread elements of the fish community. Like, you know, to this point we've been focused so much on what are we hearing musically, be it in 12 to 83, where we hear the band, um, you know, just take those initial footsteps in terms of, 
what their influences are, how they're going to play around each other. We hear that go a little bit further in 84, 85, 86. We get these really big early song debuts and we don't really hear the band kind of approach their set list outside of just like, Hey, these are the songs that we're going to play in a row. 87 is kind of where there's, there's these thematic moments where as we'll get into it, like there's chunks of a set that really flow well together. There's songs that are starting to fall into a specific slot in a show where they know that this sort of the, the, the songwriting in here is going to work really well to the crowd at this point in time, while also starting to realize that if we're going to have people that keep coming back, we're going to have to start fucking with these people. We're going to have to start challenging these people and we have to start giving them something completely different every time that they come to us. Yeah, that really stands out too. When you listen to the tapes, you can hear the audience like yelling at them, yelling for things, applauding for things, recognizing songs, like getting excited. It's pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah. The, the crowd was fired up. Um, also, I, I mean, I thought that like early shows were supposed to be for only the real, real fans, but there are people talking the entire time, the entire show. Dude, I felt like, nobody, nobody I, ever oh, yeah. stops talking oh, yeah. the whole time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> people would be horrified have, to go back to an 87 show, you know? I have this in my notes somewhere. We'll, we'll get to it, but like there's a quiet part in, in one of these songs and the entire audience is talking. And I'm sitting there just wondering, like, do any of you realize who you're seeing right now? Do you realize how lucky you are that you happen to be in this place and time seeing this band figure themselves out? And clearly they No, don't. they don't. They don't. Yeah. Freaking chompers. Veteran chompers. <laughs> nothing like them. Veterans. OG chompers. Yeah. Everyone from the old days said that they think, you know, it, it was just so much better then. But everyone was just talking in the bars, you know. So I don't know. The past is always better because like we can't actually impact the past. So you were always your better person in the past. And that's just kind of, it's the way nostalgia works. <laughs> it's true. So true. That's a good point. Um, th- so this, this set, I mean, the first set has a lot, like the flow is really good. There's a lot of good like segues. It just, it, it feels like a real, a real show. Um, what do you guys got from the first set? Big picture wise on this first set, I I noted this at the end of it. This is how I want the band to approach their first sets in their 40th year. Like this is as classic of a fish song after song after song approach that you can imagine. It's really uh, energetic. It rocks. It flows, as you said. Um, Peaches, this is where you get the first sense of Paige's organ and the band sounds incredibly tight playing this song. Alumni with Letter to Jimmy Page back into alumni. Like we get these early hints of songs that are going to be bust outs in years to come with fish. And they're going to go full years, multiple years without playing some of these songs. But early on, like you're hearing the prog side coming out of Zappa, you're going to hear the humorous side, this like relatable kind of dorky side coming out of alumni letter, Jimmy page that still has the, Hey, I can shred like Jimmy page. So I'm going to throw that in here. It's just all these little fishy elements right out the gates with the first couple of songs. Um, Golgi still has a slow opening to it, which is really interesting. I don't know exactly when that changed. Um, and then just last note on like the first opening stanza of this, like Wilson, it's like really goofy. It doesn't sound like arena rock at all, which is what it's going to be like. This is the song that opens a live one in such stunning fashion. Yeah. It almost, it almost sounds chugly and Trey's singing. Like he thinks that the song is a joke. 
Like, I'll make it all Drew for you. He's like, it's super like silly. Like Bob Dylan, it's so strange. Yeah, it's like this weird, nerdy. And there's the video that they have out from May. They have that Wilson on there, and you can see it. It's like the first known footage of fish, right? That we know about, at least, that I know about. And it's so cool because he's singing Wilson and he's singing it just like this. And he looks so silly with this like crazy long hair. And it's just, yeah, you don't, it builds up a little bit, but it doesn't have that kind of like power that it has now when you hear it. It's really funny to hear it. Only the seventh time played too. Crazy. But I thought the alumni blues that you can hear them like starting to build up to the peak. And like, that's really fun to listen to because that's like what they're going to be so good at. And yeah, my notes for that song were just all about Paige. Like, the organs like sounds so strong and it's just thinking about like how different this band would have been without Paige. And it's just so rich and sounds so great. And then having them sing Quinn the Eskimo, I love this song so much. And like I was introduced to this through the Grateful Dead. And so like hearing them anytime they play this song, it's just like just throws me back. But this is a great version. There's like a great little jam and a build up at the end. And this is going to be the last version until 1998. And I kept thinking, like, why do some of these songs, like, end up being shelved for so long? You know, like, what is it about this song that they're like, we're not going to play it anymore? Is it because the dead played it? No, I'm curious. I mean, I, I imagine that. Is, I had no, I, I didn't realize that until just you said it. That's so crazy. It's 11, it's 1,156 shows after this. It's the first night of Hampton 98 that yes. they brought it back. And my notes on this was that it sounds like a natural fish cover already. And mm -hmm. this is something we're going to talk about in a bonus segment for all of you out there who want to hear our bonus content. We're going to talk about what fish covers from the eighties. We wish that they would bring back. Quinn is one of those songs. It's been played 38 times. I saw this at Alpine Valley 2010. It's been played a fair amount of times throughout the latter part of the 2010s and not since 2019. It's strange. This is just, you saw the one in Encore. Yeah, in Camden. They played an Encore with Sleeping Monkey. It was so yes. good. That show was crazy. Yeah. It like rained a ton. It was crazy. It was such a fun show. And yeah, they played that. I almost died. I almost died. I've seen it twice, but <laughs> once in like the 90s. Yeah, I almost died. We know what show we're talking about in 2019 when we get there in 40 years. Um, yeah. One thing I want to note just from the comments, if you guys can put this on the screen, Incredible Perp says, uh, wasn't sure if it was an organ or a keyboard this early. Either way, Paige sounds awesome at the show and that Spacey opening Wilson without the chant. I think it's a really good point. We keep mentioning that it is an organ. It may just be a preset on his uh, keyboard. It probably is at this point in time, but whatever it is, it's him recognizing a sound that is going to benefit this band long-term. And I thought during Wilson, there was like a bit of page tray interplay that almost sounded like a maze jam to me where mm. he's just, they're, they're finding sounds that they are going to go back to over and over and over again for a good reason. But um, RJ, what did you think about this first set? I mean, I think what you said about like them learning kind of, I think they were learning how to construct these sets, you know, I mean, and, and this is kind of all to me, like you just hear Trey's playing. I kind of want to know like exactly what happened between 1986 and this point in 1987 in terms of Trey's playing and writing and practicing. Cause it sounds totally different to me, but like the good times, bad times closer. It's just such a great way to close a set. And then, you know, they're off the stage. It's just such a, like, it's a well, really well constructed set. Um, and yeah, there's so much like good segues. It just, it's, it's a lot of fun. 
Yeah, and yeah, divided. divided Sky. Yeah, just sorry, Ryan. The third known performance. This is the first version that's ever been available, like to us. That's on tape, and it wow. sounds really, really good. It sounds really good. Yeah, it's interesting to hear it without um, the No Dogs Allowed segment that's going to come in 1988. It's clear that it needs something more, and maybe that's just like revisionist history where we listen back to it. But this is. Already just the song portion of Divided Sky is gorgeous and it's kind of a step forward in terms of the band writing a song that can both trick your brain in terms of what's happening, but also like give you really emotional feels. I feel like Slave and Hood are the only other songs at this point in time that really do that. Everything else kind of feels either like, hey, look how much we can rock or hey, look how fast we can play or how look how quickly we can change on a dime. This is them leaning into kind of the emotional side of who fish will become, which is, you know, just as important as the, the speed and just as important as the loudness and the, the jamming is the fact that like, there's a lot of people that simply just go to fish shows because it makes them feel a certain way and divided sky. Like early on, as I was listening to fish, it was the song that kind of like made me feel this way that I wanted to keep feeling over and over again when I listened to this band. Um, I love this. That's what sets them apart. That's what sets them apart. I think, you know, tapping into something that's not just rock and roll. Yes. In my mind. Yes. Um, we have a comment here from Justin and I'm glad you asked Justin because we got a note from a listener, Jason Howard, who the, the question is how long had Trey had the Languedoc? So what Jason Howard said is a bunch of nice stuff about the show and that he's enjoying it. But he said something that's really talked about the last show of 1987 versus the first show of 1988, which is Gallagher's in Waitsfield, which is 127.88. At the end of 87, Trey gets his first Languedoc, but he's not playing it at that first at that last show in 87. The first show where we hear it is the Gallagher show in 127.88. To me, this is when Fish really gets their sound. So I didn't know that, but... So he's not That's playing awesome. it at this this show, Justin. So he's still playing the Ibanez. Yeah. Yep. Now we need to go listen to that 127 show. I mean, I we're going to get to 1988 <laughs> next week. So, you know, we'll get there. Um, this, so the first set that I love that, like I said, it, the closing with Good Times, Bad Times is great. And then they pick back up in set two with another cover and Trey just soloing again, um, which is a pretty good like combo. And the, the ACDC bag has that kind of like that old beginning, but it's more, it's like after a little while that they, they start to play that little theme, you know, that was at the beginning and it's just a great long transition to possum. It's, that's a really good combo. Oh, that segue is amazing. And I think they're going to pair those two bag into possum like eight times in 87 and 88. It's going to be like a good combo for them. So they obviously like rehearsed that and wanted that segue nice. It's great. I think the band sounds so tight in the ACDC bag. Like it's, these are highly composed songs and they're playing a lot of them and they're doing them really, really well. It's pretty incredible for such a young band. Yeah, this is, this bag is why I love going back and doing this series and why I love that we're picking shows. I know that none of us had really listened to this show prior to this. I'm really familiar with 821 and 829, uh, 429. There's a bunch of 87 shows I know we've all listened to either for this podcast or just, you know, for other research purposes. This was the first time I listened to this show. And part of what I love about this is like you discover a version of ACDC bag that goes into a 90 second to two minute type two jam. Um, 
totally leaves ACDC bag and finds its way into possum, which to your point, Megan becomes a thing that they will do throughout 87 and 88. Once something works, fish tends to repeat it and kind of perfect it and (laughs) tweak it a little bit over the course of a period in time. And then it's not really like a reg, you know, a a segue that people think about um, nowadays, but you go back in time and you hear the band kind of messing around with their, overall, you know, set repertoire and how everything flows. And you hear a song like ACDC bag that 10 years from now in 1997 is going to have really significant jams. And is going to be one of the most important jam vehicles of the 1997 year, 98, 99, 2000, like there's great, great versions. Um, but here we hear the band just like figuring their way out of a song that will for most of the next decade, be a pretty standard rock and roll opening song. What is a city without its music? The legacy of the New York Philharmonic is incredible. Nearly two centuries of history. That's a lot of music and a lot of stories. I was sitting on stage for the very first time thinking, I can't quite believe this is happening. Join me, Jamie Bernstein, as we explore the history of the New York Philharmonic. It's the NY Phil story made in New York, a podcast about a city, its people, and their orchestra. Listen wherever you get podcasts. Yeah, it's really, really great. Um, the possum is fun. I mean, there, there's a lot going on here. The first recorded version of Fee comes after Fluffhead, which is, which is, um, I was wondering if like what the mic and, you know, the band is thinking, you know, playing the song for at the very beginning of when Trey like brought it to the table and Mike has to like just say fee 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 over and over again <laughs> for like a minute and a half at the end. <laughs> just wonder if they were like, what the fuck is this is going on here? Or or if they were just like, This is so great and fun. This is where I notice the crowd chatter. This I have it in my notes. Yeah. Here. They're they're trying to sing through the verse. It's a lot of words. It's kind of a weird song. It's a very beloved song now, but it's also kind of one of those songs that unless you're opening yourself up to what fish is capable of, it feels a little bit weird. And so the whole crowd is talking through this while they're trying to sing these words. And you hear people kind of stop when like they say nipple and like you hear like just like weird moments where like a verse ends on like a strange word or a strange uh, phrase. And like people are like, what the hell are they singing about right now? Like, exactly. what, what, do, you, do you hear what the song is? Um, but it sounds faster. As, as, as they're playing it right now. And I wonder if that's almost self-conscious because they could just tell, like, we're slightly losing the audience here. I don't know. <laughs> Let's get over this one. Yeah. No, that's so funny. But then they go into the curtain with, and God, I just feel like it's, I love this song so much and it's so powerful. It's just like the way this song begins. And I just think that like, I don't know. I'm wondering, like, I've never heard it with live and I'm definitely chasing this. And I just don't understand why they started leaving that out in 1998. Like what happened? Um, I mean, I, I, I think that, well, part of it is that the melody became rift, um, became the solo and rift just sped up. So they, they took that out. I think they also found that oh, the curtain that. in and of itself was just such a powerful transitional song. You know, it had mm-hmm. this great, like the curtain proper is really well composed and it's a really difficult song and then it builds and builds and builds and it just like spills out over into whatever the next song is. Um, but I agree, like I'm just looking at the stats of it curtain with 
with with has only been played 40 times, which is crazy yeah. to consider the larger crew. This is the second time it's ever been played. The first known performance was the night before at Nectar's. It would be played around 15 times until 7-29-88 in Colorado, and then not again until 7-12-2000. Of note... I don't know if you went to all three Camden 2019 shows, but the last, it sounds like you, know, you must not have because you haven't seen this. This opened uh, Camden night three, 2019. It has not I been know, played I was since. Super pissed. I it's a great that. show. That's You've never seen show. it, Megan? Mm-mm. No, I've only seen, I've seen the curtain like, three times. Like two. I've never seen the curtain. 96. And when, at the summer, I saw it at Jones Beach. Okay. So but you've seen with, Brian? I've seen with like three or four times. I've seen it five times, I think, which is what? Yeah, I'm going through the stats right now. That's I saw it Coventry. Weird. Yeah, the and... Coventry one is not. I wouldn't. I wouldn't go back to that one. <laughs> I I disagree. I disagree. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I there is a gem. To, there's a. I've, I, there's a beautiful okay. moment where the band is like holding on to playing together, and they will not stop playing and they don't want to end the note and it leads to this really incredible like two minutes of music that sounds like they're like just like clinging to each other you know it's like jack clinging to rose and he and he knows he's gonna fall (laughs) into the ocean but he's like he's like holding on and then you know she lets him go and that's it that's the end of fish i think they could have both gotten on that thing that she was floating on they you could know? have completely they gotten have on. She was gotten so on. selfish. Oh my Come god! Come on! They so I've seen the curtain. On. So I'm the only. Am I the only person who's seen both? Or you've seen both, Brian? You are. No, I've never seen the curtain. I've always wanted okay. to. I haven't seen it because it's just so energetic. I know. Yeah, it's fun, and he, like it's in the early good. '90s, it was like yeah, like you said, straight into you know Susie or ACDC bag or something. Um, it's a, this is a great version though, but they need to bring this mm-hmm. back. Maybe Mexico. I think Mexico should be the return of the curtain with, I think it'd be nice for the Sunday show. I'm so happy. You know? Mm-hmm. Um, okay. Well, anyway, I think that's happening. It's gotta Perfect. happen. <laughs> Perfect. Can't it's wait. Gotta happen. Add it to my stat. Um, the, the one thing I want to just, we can talk about the rest of this set if you guys want to, but I was wondering during you enjoy myself because they they do a like pretty insane yelling vocal jam. Has anyone ever asked Trey why they started doing the vocal jam in you enjoy myself? Because if if they haven't, I'm gonna do it next time I interview him. I just want to know why. Like why start why start screaming? I have a theory. Okay. Let's hear it. So and I was thinking about this as listening to this because you go two cover songs that need not be named. They need not be played again, but they played them, you know, they kind of played them well too. Like kind of like despite us, they did great, great bar songs all around. (laughs) And one after this, another bar song after this, another (laughs) bar song, another very white wedding song, eat some ribs, have some, have a corn dog in one hand and a Bud Light in another hand, three o'clock in the afternoon. You're just like beat red because you forgot to put on sunscreen. Bands play. <laughs> the neck is like just <laughs> the farmer tan. Um, but it had to sound insane to hear a song like You Enjoy Myself in a bar. And you hear the the crowd both 
get excited by this, but also kind of shut up for the first time and listen to what the band is doing because you enjoy myself, even though it's a lengthy composition, there's no moment where you could get bored. And I've played this song for like non-Fish fans just to be like, this is what the band is fully capable of at their best. And you kind of fully grab people because the way it starts, you're like floating in bubbles. And then it like goes in this Nirvana space and builds and builds and builds. And there's no moment where like, you could just be like, okay, this is just a little bit too overlong. And then they go into this vocal jam and the entire crowd is just like hooting and howling with them. And they're just going back and forth with the band. My theory is that it just evolves out of crowd engagement and it became something bigger than what it was. And it was almost this like release after playing a very buttoned up uh, um, composed song that has this raging jam. And then what do we do after this? Let's just yell a bunch of nothing into the microphone and get the crowd engaged. And so it feels like a way for the band and audience to be engaged with each other. I'd be curious your guys' thoughts on that theory. And perhaps Trey will have an accurate or inaccurate answer that will be, <laughs> you know, somewhat satisfying based on what you ask him. I mean, they used to do it in other songs too. Like even the, the last show we talked about or the one before, they did it in Sneak and Sally. Right. I know that they right. used to do vocal jams. Maybe Trey just really likes the vocal jam, but I, I agree. It does kind of like encourage engagement. I hadn't thought about that, Brian. That's cool. I think it's just what do you think, of, RJ? I mean, it's just kind of annoying. It's loud. doesn't really do anything. doesn't really go anywhere. Just, I mean, I don't like yelling. it. It's, that's yelling. why it's like I would never play. It's interesting that you would play that, Brian, for someone who's not into fish, because that's like a song I'd be like, fuck no, I'm not playing. It's too weird. Like people would be like, what is this? You know, like I remember my dad and I were like streaming a Mexico show, maybe this year or last year. And you enjoy myself came on and I was like, oh God, this is going to get so weird. And my dad was like, what's happening? It's weird. You know? The one lesson I learned about playing fish for people who are not fish fans that came from um, the Analyze Fish podcast, the great Oh, Harris love Whittles, that Scott yeah. Ackerman podcast, R.E.P. Harris Whittles, amazing, amazing dude. Um, he in I think episode one or two, whatever one, like an early episode when they're giving, he's giving his first go round of trying to get Scott into fish. Played Scott um, fish cover songs of songs that Scott would know, and the entire yeah. time Scott was like, "Why are you doing this? I just want to listen to the actual band play it." So he comes back. <laughs> the next episode and he plays studio versions of good fish songs. And Scott's like, why are you doing this? You keep telling me that they're better in a live setting. Why are you playing me stuff that just doesn't <laughs> sound that good in the studio? And so he finally starts playing him live stuff and starts playing him like weird stuff. And while Scott doesn't totally like jump onto it, part of that's like the bit of it all. It's clear that that's where like he actually starts to understand who fish is. And so like, mm -hmm. I, I've always taken that approach. That. If you're going to try to get someone to fish, like give them something that actually represents what fish is and what is fish sometimes to RJ's point. He said it. I didn't say it. I'm just quoting RJ. Sometimes they're loud and annoying. That's very true. <laughs> very true. <laughs> It's also a note that this is the 11th version of You Enjoy Myself, a song that's been played 647 times. Like yeah, they're still figuring out what to do with this. Amazing. Yeah. Well, now, it, and now it's evolved, which is so great. 
Yeah. Again, except you know, the last time they did the Vulcan. Yeah, except for last time, but now it's a jam vehicle again. Yeah, yeah. But the last time when they did it, the segue from the vocal jam into Ruby Waves is one of my favorite yeah. moments of the entire MSG run. So, really good. so I guess we'll. There are some some abandoned covers, and that happens to be what we're talking about on Osiris Premium. So now's a good time to say, if you want to support what we're doing, you can go to OsirisPod.com slash premium and support us for just a, a few dollars a month. It would really help us keep this uh, free content coming to you. Um, so that's that's my pitch. And if enough of you support us, we'll stop with a weekly vocal jam hate. How about that? <laughs> Maybe. I don't, I don't know. Don't make promises we can't keep, Brian. Um. <laughs> So, okay, guys, set three. I, what, I, what I recognize in, in set three is when they open with Iculus, there's, like there's one person just yelling, which is, which is great. But it seems like the person like knew Iculus. It, they kind of happened several times throughout. People yeah. were excited about specific, specific songs, which is kind of surprising, but pretty awesome. Yeah, you can hear someone being like, a great one. Tell me, tell me. Like as Trey's like talking about introducing Aculus. It's people obviously are like coming back and knowing what's going on with this. So this is the fourth version of all time. The first version happened on April Fool's Day, 1986 at Hunts. So good. Which is their 37th show of all time. And then they played it six months later, Halloween. A God College, a show we covered last week. And then they play it at the ranch on 12686, an absolutely incredible show. Um, highly, highly recommend people go and check that show out. The ranch shows, every single one of them is worth hearing. 82987 yeah. is amazing. It's just like we're fish. It's 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 the closest thing that we get to like festival fish at that point because it's abandoned, it's outside of town. But then this one comes. Eight months later, it's the first time in 20 shows. And you kind of get the sense that Trey had been getting egged on at these mm. Nectar shows and throughout 1987 to play this song. And it's one of those things that like the first time you hear Iculus, you have like a portal into Trey's mind and into his humor. And either you find this funny or you don't. And if you don't, it's really hard to figure out a way to like this band. And if you do, like all of us, you dedicate ridiculous amounts of time to listen to this band and try to understand them better. I got my first Iculus. It's only been played 30 times. I got my first Iculus at Dick's this last year, and uh, it was awesome. I I felt like I, I could go home and, and never do this again. I got I finally got an Iculus, but I'll, I'll do it again. I've never gotten one. Soon, maybe Mexico. I've only seen it once, but it was a it was a good one. So you both um, only seen it once. Wow, one time. Yeah, I mean, I they mean, obviously don't play it, very much. Like, if you look at it from 1995, there's one, two, three, four, five, six, seven versions since 1995. That's the thing. There has not been very many at all since the 90s. It's like, a very yeah. very rare song to listen to, to get, and yeah. when you get it. You feel blessed by the man, you do. the great man, <laughs> um, incredible, a great, great incredible man. man, a really great man. <laughs> the great so this, you know what the name of this man is? Okay, so this Bowie, Tell me. <laughs> it's Tell pretty me. sweet. Incredible man, <laughs> great, great Bowie. 
I listen to this so much. I'm trying to move us along here. If you can't tell, okay, his okay, name. We're moving along. <laughs> tell what do you guys think of the boy? <laughs> Just a Sorry. great, great man. His name was <laughs> David Bowie. Not even a year old, and it sounds faster and tighter than it mm-hmm. did. It's incredible. And this one's amazing because the last recording we have of this one is eight minutes long, and the one before that seven. And the one before that's like 10, but this one is 16 minutes long. It's like a jammed out Bowie. I think the jam too is cool. It sounds kind of like the Grateful Dead to me. And maybe that's just because I don't know enough about what music sounds like. But to me, it really sounds like a lot of like ascending and descending chords. And then the segue back into the, into the song is so good. RJ, would you say that this is the greatest David Bowie that you've ever heard? Or was that August 12th? 2022. I never said heard. <laughs> I never said heard. I said seen. Said attended. Different. <laughs> different. Very different. This is a good one, though. I mean, this is this is longer than most David Bowie's from the past few years. At like it is. Minutes. It is. It previews, though, there's two versions coming up on August 21st and August 29th that mm. are two of the earliest and and best examples of fish improvisation and what David Bowie can do. I don't think this version fully gets there, but to your point, Megan, there's these ascending and descending riffs. It's very rock and roll, uh, but in kind of a uh, divergent way, it's, it just feels like the band is starting to figure out what they can do when they push beyond the edges of the song. Um, one of the four times that Trey told us about writing about this song or writing this song at Coventry, he noted how he wanted to write in, you know, these faster and faster rhythms, faster and faster melodies that you had to kind of like dance through these musical music theory moments. I don't know exactly. I'm not a huge, I'm not a music theorist, but like, you know, there was, there, there was this idea that he was trying to like eclipse time and have people just dance right through time. And you get that when you hear how fast they were playing this at this point in time, I had to imagine like this had to be the era where they were practicing David Bowie on like a daily basis. Yeah. Yeah. Or at least like practicing jamming in some way that, around stuff like this you know yeah yeah like mm-hmm. trigger, figuring out how to like how to be so tight and loose at the same time yep yeah, it's pretty it's uh it's great that's a that's a great and then they go like into the first jesus just left chicago that they played and then whipping posts that's like a pretty solid what 30 something minutes of music there yeah, they'll get the debut good. Debut of Jesus Just Left Chicago are one of three ZZ Top songs in yeah. this show. We're feeling the ZZ Top. Did you guys watch the Netflix documentary about ZZ Top? Mm-hmm. No. I need to, though. I should know. My dad's a huge fan. Really? So good. Mm-hmm. I didn't know that there were like fans. I mean, fan is a loose term, but he likes them a lot. He listens he likes to them. them. I was thinking about yeah. this. Sorry, Brian, to interrupt, but please tell me about this this um, documentary after I just say quickly that I was thinking about this the other day with Alice Cooper. Like, are there any Alice Cooper fans? Are there people who are like, like, get up in the morning and are like, I'm going to turn on Alice Cooper? Or did he just like, does he just get played on radio and people like hear it? I think for anyone who reaches that level of success, 
they have to have like a very dedicated fan yeah. base. Yeah. But I do, I did often, I felt that with ZZ Top before I watched the documentary. I was just kind of like, they're the guys with the beards who like do the dance and their guitars. Yeah, kind of like a novelty act. Yeah, I kind of yeah. felt that. Yeah. But then you like really get the sense that like similar to Fish, like they cut their teeth in bars and they found a sound that really resonated with people. I think the difference is, you know, I've been thinking about this a lot lately, just in terms of, I don't want to take us too far off course, but you know, RJ, you, you took us there. Um, you know, there's always these like debates of, you know, fish disappointing the crowd or fish, like really coming and like giving a great show for their fans. And I feel like part of that sensation comes from the fact that like fish does not have top 40 hits that they can, you know, rely on royalties for they don't have you know awards from you know the grammys or from you know the rock and roll hall of fame you know all, all these like institutions that like prop you up and the the people that support fish and that make their their music happen are literally their fans like there's nothing there's it's not album sales that, are, that have made fish financially successful it's literally their fans continuously coming out to their shows so like there's always this debate within the fan base about like should the intentionality be around what they want to do or should it be around like what will make more you know fans happier it's a totally different conversation but it made me think a lot about how you know a band like zz top rises up playing small bars but then they release hit singles and those hit singles are what ultimately sustains them for their career whereas fish rises up through bars and are essentially still doing the same thing today that they were doing 40 years ago when they made or when they played this show where it's like, we're going to show up. We're hoping that the show is really good. We're hoping that we feel it. We're hoping you guys feel it. And we're hoping that at the end of it, everybody comes back and does it all over again. I know, it's a cool thing that to like have like, that connected. Yeah. And they're so like, I think that's like a blessing because it like, we're what legit legitimizes them. Whereas like, I think when you become a band that gets legitimized on like the radio, you get lazy, you know, mm. and you don't feel like you have to have to try as hard. So I think that that's what has kept fish fresh. Never being lazy. Yeah. Well, okay. So we got a lot of, uh, we got a lot of <laughs> people stuff. like Alice Cooper, like a lot. Yeah. Apparently, apparently that's true. Uh, Billion dollar babies is the, that's the one that's the, it's an anniversary this year as Brian and I know from doing a lot of research on anniversary albums for the past couple of years. Um, ZZ top though, man. The guys with the beards, and they just did that like forever. They had the beards the whole time. It's crazy. They were committed to it. It was their thing. It was a yeah. good bit. I appreciated it. This Jesus Just Left Chicago, I'm looking at the stats right now. Only 81 performances all time. Can I ask you guys a question? Yeah, sure. Mm -hmm. Is it possible? What do you think this song means um, in terms of like larger fish covers? What does this song represent for you in terms of Fish Fish's approach to cover songs? Um, I get like to me, it's just like another good example of why Paige should sing mm. more. Mm. Um, I think I first saw it at Dayton '97, and I've seen it several times since then. But um, it's a really, it's like he does a great job with it. That's he that's does. my. That's mm -hmm. that's my takeaway. For someone with as clean and pretty a voice as Paige to be able to sing as like gravelly and dirty as he does, it's just it it's mind blowing. What do you think, Meg? 
I haven't really thought about it, but you know, it's kind of bluesy and I feel like fish doesn't do as much of that as I think, I feel like they kind of turned away from that a little bit and that's fine with me, but I do like the song. I don't know if I've ever seen it. I don't know if I, I think I've seen Let me it. Look. Um, I mean, I'm on the same page with, oh no, I saw it once. I saw Toyota Park 2010. Um, I'm on the same page with you guys about it. I think ultimately, you know, my thought when I wrote the question down is as the band is going to evolve and as cover songs are going to always be a part of their sets, it's one of the cool things about fish is like, they never reached a point where they were like, okay, we're done with covers. Now you come to our show Mm -hmm. and you only hear fish songs. Um, like I think like, you know, you two, for example, not a lot of cover songs in their sets. It's like, these are you two songs that you're hearing. And maybe there's like a snippet of a cover song, but they're not playing cover songs as though they're theirs. Like fish is mm-hmm. incorporating cover songs and making them a part of their overall sound. It's enriching their overall approach to music while also enriching the song that they're playing. And a song like Jesus just left Chicago is just this open space for jamming. Whereas you get into like 96, 97 versions, they're going to stretch it out to like, 14 15 minutes and you know the blues breakdown may not be everyone's cup of tea see my soul why do we keep playing my soul but like jesus just loves chicago has a lot of space built into it that the band can really explore yeah i mean i've never seen it live i just looked but i'd rather hear them play lagrange if they're going to play a zz top song personally i would love to hear lagrange mm-hmm. i do yeah. just love the like you know it's middle of july at three o'clock in the afternoon and you were sweating like crazy but you got to eat some barbecue and uh drink some 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 red juice i think is what they call it down in texas some red slushy i don't know whatever i ate it or drank at like barbecue stands it was just like ice and red juice it was so good I don't someone know what that you know, is. from texas knows what i'm talking about um i'm just not defining it correctly but like and then you hear this like and it's just like it's so slow. Oh, it's so good. It's very, it's very Texas. Um, mm-hmm. All right. Well, we're getting up toward the hour here, guys. So we we have a commitment to our listeners and viewers, sort of. What do what do you <laughs> what do you what do you guys take away from this from this from this show? Can I say one more thing about this show? Is that yep. part of our commitment too? If we need to, if you need to. <laughs> you yes, talked about Brian. how annoyed you were by fish being annoying and loud, but then they play anarchy after whipping post and yeah. the entire crowd starts going louder. And then they play faster and then they play and then they keep doing it over and over again. So I don't know if it's you RJ or if it's the band or if it's the fan base. I don't know, but like, it seems like everybody likes the loud and the fast. Your thoughts? No, no, I just think the yelling during I just think the yelling during the vocal jam is annoying. They can <laughs> anarchy is fine. I mean it, it not something that needs to come back, but um but yeah, it's fine. I, I like that. it's a it's a little break there. It's only a they also long, play, so it is it's over before they you also know play it. a cover of Tush. This yep. is the second and final performance of the ZZ Top song. And they crush it. I, I didn't. I like this cr- song. <laughs> you don't like it? 
I do like it. Yeah, it's it's great. Yeah, it's great. It's got like a riff. Mm -hmm. It's it's amazing, and they crush it here. And then I was just thinking the last song of the show, "Dear Mrs. Reagan." I get why they cut why they cut it. This is one of those songs I've always wished that they would come back. I wish that we would get just one more performance before all this is over. But I was thinking. There's a Bob Dylan and the band song called Please Mrs. Henry that I didn't realize until listening to Dear Mrs. Reagan this time, but they sing Dear Mrs. Reagan the exact same way that Dylan sings, Please Mrs. Henry, Mrs. Henry, please. Like Trey sings it the exact same way. And that I got to imagine that was that really good. That was a really good Dylan. I practiced my Dylan in my in the air. <laughs> All right. so I didn't answer any of your questions, RJ. No. We're coming up on time for our audience. What were your no. big takeaways from the show? Well, I just think it keeps, I don't know if this is going to keep happening every time, but you know, it does seem like this is, they just keep every year, every year that we cover so far, I'm like, this is, this is really when they start sounding like fish. And I don't know when that's going to, maybe that's just the theme <laughs> that, it, that it always. That might be the larger takeaway. <laughs> right. That it just continues until forever. Um, because it's pretty cool to hear. And I think this is like, a this is a pretty modern, modern sounding version of the band to me. I mean, there's a lot that's like, you know, rough around the edges, but I think it's pretty, it, it sounds great. That's my take. I think this is them like really delivering like a solid three set show. Like they seem like they know what they want to do, how they want to do it. They're not like kind of, I don't know, fucking around on stage as much. Like there's not as much like, you know, loose banter. It sounds like they're like, delivering they they sound really a lot more polished this year it's fun yeah i'm tempted to say that like this is the last show we're going to be like okay now they sound like fish but i think to your point rj one of the things that we love about fish is that they're always adding something to themselves like i think that we could agree this is like where fish foundation like this is where it happens. Like this is the sound, the general sound of the band. We think about set one, like that's the most fluid set that we've listened to in this series thus far in terms of just like the way that it takes a group of songs, puts them together in a way that flows naturally, that feels like a modern fish set in a lot of cases. Um, but, you know, from here, we're going to see them start to tour outside of Vermont. Um, we're going to see them start to grow kind of tired almost of the Nectar's gig. We've got two more years of Nectar's residencies. So it's not as though that's going to end here soon, but we're probably, we're going to reach a point where it's like, okay, we need to take the show elsewhere. And how is it going to evolve from there? Um, Trey's guitar is obviously going to get a massive upgrade as we move into 1988. The band's equipment's going to get better. And, you know, we're, you think about, 1987 to 1993 it feels like a large gap but from where we sit in 2023 right now i'm sure to you all 2017 doesn't feel that long ago like i remember very specific things i did in 2017 so in this like six year gap of time the band is going to go from this to we can play a song on stage and then just go wherever we want to go for 25 minutes and figure our way back there. And that's going to be the next, you know, evolutionary step forward of the band. So I think you're right. This is like a foundational like setting of where the band is at at this point in time. But the next six years, man, are just tightening themselves up, challenging themselves, writing so many of their classic songs. Like there's so much to come here. 
we we don't know what we're going to cover next week, but we are going to cover a 1988 show. Glenn Russell says it's really not too far of a stretch to say that that first set could be played. Totally today. agree. Totally, yeah. I would love it. I would take yeah. that in a heartbeat. Peaches oh opener, yes, please. Maybe they could just jam out one of the songs to be longer because the set's only like 35 minutes. But you know, divided sky, you're gonna get you're gonna get that being will be at like 45, 50 minutes. That's true. Yeah, you need a jam song in there. So yeah, yeah. we should yeah. play Ghost and you know, 1987 Fish playing Ghost would sound really goofy. Never told you. Yeah, with uh, the Frank Zeppa singing. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> all right, well, we're gonna be back next week with some with some 1988. Um, thanks for tuning in on on YouTube, Little Tokyo. More yelling, please. We can do that. We can do more yelling. It's not as good on a podcast, but we can do it. I mean, I'm I'm in. Um, Maybe he means right. faster. <laughs> yeah, I think I think probably. Tell me his oh. name. What else? What else do we got? Anything? I think that's his it. name. Tell was me, Brian. Iculus. Iculus. All right. We'll see you all next week. <laughs> Bye, everyone. Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details. Hey there, I'm Johnny Christ from Avenged Sevenfold, and I've got a podcast called Drinks with Johnny you're going to want to check out. I sit down with a bunch of different people from all different walks of life, from professional wrestlers to actors, comedians, fighters, musicians, Everything in between. I'm just looking to make some friends and have a good time doing it. So if that sounds like something you're into, go check out Drinks With Johnny, streaming everywhere now.